You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Why don't we go ahead and uh, find our seats and we'll get started here today. So glad that you guys are here. We are finishing up our, ser- uh, our mini-series in the Beatitudes, which is found in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 5 as we prepare for this, this morning. If you're new here, I'm Zach, one of the pastors, and we're so glad that you're here. Before we dive into our, our text, I want to just give a little plug about um, something that we really value here at The Vine, and that is our membership class. And if you're not yet a member, we would really encourage you to sign up for this. All you have to do is go on the website, on the sign-up tab on our new website, and just sign up. Um, The deal is this. I say it all the time, and I really believe it, that um, God calls us as his people if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian here today, that's a different deal. Uh, and we're glad that you're here. But if you are a Christian, if you name the name of Christ, if you believed him to forgive you of your sins, um, there's no such thing as saying that you love God and don't love the church. And if you say that you love the church, that means you want to be all in with the church. Now, warts and all. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect church. But God calls us, God assumes in the New Testament that we'll be vitally engaged in the life of the local church. And so um, we don't, we're not looking to pad our stats here at, at the Vine. We're not trying to build a mega church. We don't call you to membership uh, because of some ego boost for the leaders or something. We really believe that it's God's will for you to be vitally engaged, connected like a family in some local church. So it doesn't have to be the Vine, but it does have to be somewhere um, to follow God, to really follow his word and to take it seriously. And so you don't have to be a member here, but we do want you to be a member somewhere. So the whole point is this. We want to cut the heart out of consumerism. It's easy now that we have a building and we've got a bigger kids program. Compared to where we were five years ago, six years ago, meeting in a school, right? Now it's easier to just kind of come and consume. And consumerism is the opposite of what Jesus calls you to. So we just want to say, like, don't be on the sidelines. Don't be on the sidelines. Either be all in um, be all in somewhere is what I would say. And so um, if you haven't considered that or there's like some reticence in your heart, man, let's just talk about that. Like you talk to me, talk to your city leader. No one's going to like rebuke you for having struggles with what it means to be a member if that's kind of what's going on in your heart. Um, so let's talk. But we'd like us everyone to be fully engaged and not be consumers, not be those who just come and consume and then leave anonymously and not really engage in the life of the church. Now, some of you are, have only been here for three weeks, and that's okay. Like, but I would say, like, ballpark, if you've been coming for six months and you're not a member, like, let's become a member. Or at least take the class and figure it out, and then you'll be like, oh, man, these people are crazy. I don't want to be here. You know what I mean? I'm not down with this vision. But at least then you'll know, and then you'll be able to go somewhere where you are down with the vision, where you are excited to be a member. Does that make sense? So um, just consider that. You can just come and learn. If you take the class, it doesn't mean you have to become a member. It just means that we want to have that conversation with you 
And um, so I hope that's clear. Okay. All right. So we're going to start my message here today uh, with a video. Um, I don't usually do this, but this, 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 one, this one was too good to be true in terms of, there it is. Uh, I, I, I go to great lengths to show you that video because it shows a very, very important point that he had to retrain his brain. Everything that was intuitive was wrong. And it took a long, long time. He was on that bike going, this is, this is foreign. This is weird. My brain cannot comprehend what's happening right here. And the whole, whole reason I want to show this to you is because I feel like this is somehow and sometimes how Jesus makes us feel with his words. And we're going to see that this morning in, in black and white. But apart from our text this morning, he says things like, if you want to gain your life, you'll lose it. That sounds backwards, right? If you want to have fellowship with me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, if you're new to the Bible, that needs a lot of explanation. Um, And so we can talk about that. Um, But that that comes in a context. Uh, He says, if someone slaps you on the left side of your face, give him the right side as well. That doesn't sound right in terms of how we think. That sounds like a backwards bicycle. Not intuitive in the least. Opposite of our natural impulses, right? See, in our text today, Jesus is asking us to retrain our brains. To to deviate from our our default way of thinking. See, we, we have patterns of thinking that are so ingrained in our minds that when Jesus comes and he asks us to change our minds to his way of thinking, he can kind of sound like he's crazy. But this morning, I want to ask us to be willing to have our minds retrained by Jesus, to ride the bicycle backwards. So here's our normal pathway of thinking as we draw closer to our text for today. Our normal pathway of thinking is that if you're suffering, that means that you've probably sinned. Or if you're suffering, that means that God is against you. If you're persecuted for your faith, that means that God has probably abandoned you. He's not protecting you. See, that's our normal way of thinking. Let me, let me give you some biblical examples because this was the normal way of thinking for people in the time of the Bible as well. So that we can climb into the world of the text and go, when Jesus said this to his first audience, what we're going to see in a second, they would have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So, for example, ancient Jewish story is the story of Job. You can find it in the Old Testament. And the story of Job has a lot of contours. But One of the main facets of that story that we see is that Job suffers very, very, very profoundly. And he's in mourning and grieving And his friends come along and they just insist over and over again for about 30 chapters, 35 chapters or so, that the point is this, Job, you've sinned. And Job is saying, I don't think I have. And they keep saying it over and over again, that because you're suffering, that means you're a great sinner. Now, if you get into the book of Job, which we won't do today, we'll see that that's the opposite. He was was suffering because he had not sinned. In John chapter 13, 
Jesus is quoting kind of like a, a news event that had happened to some people that were questioning him. And the news event that had happened was that there was this tower that fell on some people, 18 people. There was an architectural disaster, and this, this tower collapsed and killed 18 people. And he says to his audience, I know you guys think that those people were killed because they were great sinners. The suffering happened, and so you think that that suffering gets, gets dealt out to these people because they were great sinners. And he's saying, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. But unless you repent... You will die as well. See, this is how we tend to think. If you're suffering, it means that you did something wrong. That's how people in the Bible thought as well. And Jesus wants to tell us sometimes it's the opposite. Jesus wants us to learn how to ride his bike that feels backwards sometimes. Here's what he says. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 5, the last beatitude, starting in verse 10. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 10. Blessed, blessed means those who have found favor with God. They're in a right relationship with God. So those who are in a right relationship with God are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Did you check that out? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what is he saying here? He's saying that if you're suffering for your faith, if you're suffering for following Jesus, that really means that you're probably blessed. That sounds kind of backwards, doesn't it? That's not intuitive for us, is it? In fact, it can be kind of emotionally painful to read. Like, have you, have you ever been reviled? Have you ever had people say things about you that were just flat-out mean and untrue? Your reputation tarnished? Or trashed because of your connection to Jesus? See, it's not an easy, easy pill to swallow, right? But the question I, I want to ask us this morning is this Are we willing to listen to the logic of Jesus? Are we willing to listen to the logic of Jesus? Because he comes to us this morning and says, there might be a reason for you to climb on the backwards bicycle. There might be a a reason to try to retrain your brain to my way of thinking. Like, are we going to choose to believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about this morning and he's not crazy? Let's read it again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. Three times in these three verses, you'll see comma, 
4. See it? You'll see it on the screen right now. Rejoice and be glad, comma, 4. You with me? So you'll see it again in verse 10. You'll see it twice in verse 12. Do you see Jesus' logic here? Like when he says rejoice and be glad, comma, 4, meaning there's a foundation upon which you can build a house of rejoicing and gladness. There's a reason, right? That's Jesus' logic here. There's a reason for rejoicing. There's a reason to be glad. I want you to train your mind to see this as you read your Bible. I want to train you to to see the logic of the Bible. Because it's powerful for our joy, for our sanctification, for our growing in, 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 in becoming more like Jesus. What he's saying is, you're blessed when you're persecuted for following God's way of doing things because it shows that you're really his. And those who are really his get rewarded. What mind can conceive the things that God has prepared for those who love him? That's what Paul says. He's saying, remember, remember your inheritance. Remember, remember, it's going to be worth it someday. Remember, remember, there's a reward. The day of doom and gloom is going to quickly come to a close, and then it's rejoicing. It's kind of like this. It'd be like if, if somebody hated you because you were the son or daughter of very wealthy and aging parents, Okay? And because you're a son or daughter of very wealthy, aging parents, there's, there are people out there that hate you out of jealousy and envy, and they want to get at all your money that you have right now. So it might, not, it might be kind of conservative now because you haven't got your inheritance yet. So they just want to get at you because they hate you. So what they do is they try to steal all your money that you currently have through stealing your identity. Identity theft, right? They want to ruin you financially. And let's say that they succeed in this crime. And your bank account is liquidated and you got to endure this crazy mess of working with authorities and police and cybersecurity and all your money being tied up. But at the end of the day, you're just not that stressed out about it. Why? Because you know it's just a matter of time when all your, parent, when all your parents' money is going to be yours. Just a matter of time when your parents will pass away and all of their millions of dollars of inheritance is going to be yours. See, the money that you have now that they have taken through identity theft is nothing compared to the millions that you're going to receive in inheritance. You with me? So they can mess with you now and they can disrupt some things now, but in the big picture, you're going to have millions of dollars in a few years. And you'll be able to buy the best cybersecurity possible, and nothing's going to ever touch your money again. See, in light of, in comparison to what you're enduring now, your future is so bright, you can rejoice that they're even paying attention to you because it shows that you're a son or a daughter of really wealthy people. And because of that, they're jealous and envious. They want at you. See, Check it out. In some ways, the persecution shows your identity. You feel that? In some ways, your persecution shows your identity because 
you have this identity. You just have to wait a little bit for it all to be yours. See? See, this is Jesus' logic in the text. He's saying focus on the long term. They can mess with you in the short term, but it's not going to last long. And the the long term is unbelievably beautiful and satisfying. Listen to what Romans 8.18 says. Just another way of looking at it. Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not worth it. Like you can't even put them on the table and try to analyze them and compare. It's like, no, get this other one out of here because this one is so amazing. It's not even worth looking at any comparison, analyzing anything. Because this the staggering nature of how good this is, the glory, the greatness, the grandeur of all that we will have will make what used to be just nothing. It's just like, let's not... It's just nothing. It's nothingness. Let me give you another angle on this. Look at verse 12. Just as, way of, as a way of Jesus' encouragement for you when you're suffering for your faith. He says in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad. Comma, four. So the reason is your reward, so you can have a reward in heaven. Comma, four. Here's another way to look at it. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, what, what is this all about? Why is Jesus saying this as a logic for you to take comfort when you're suffering for your faith? For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What he's saying is... If you're suffering for your faith, if you're suffering for the truth, if you're being persecuted for following Jesus and his way of doing things, it's like he's saying, take heart. You're in good company. Take heart. You are in good company. It'd be, it'd be like this. If I said, let me, let me tell you some people I really respect as those who have the courage to stand up for the truth. I'm just going to tell you some of my favorite people who I know courageously stood up for the truth. I'm thinking of Mother Teresa. I'm thinking of Martin Luther King Jr. I'm thinking of William Wilberforce. I'm thinking of Winston Churchill. I'm thinking of Joe Gehrman. Now, if I said Joe Gehrman, Joe's thinking right now, I wasn't expecting that maybe. <laughs> Joe's a great guy. But he's, what is Joe thinking? He's thinking, you're, you're listing me off in some pretty good company. Like, if you're putting me up there with the courage of William Wilberforce, or you're putting me up there with the courage of Winston Churchill, like, that's some good company to be named in. Wow, that's a compliment, right? Like, I'm in good company if, if that's the, 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 the thought about me and, and my courage and my willingness to, to do the right thing in hard circumstances. It's pretty flattering, Right? A lot of you don't know who Joe is. Joe's sitting right here. And so that was supposed to be sort of light and funny, but it just flopped. It's fine. But you guys get the point, right? Like if someone were to say that about me, I'd be like, wow, that's pretty flattering. You've put me in some pretty good company. That's what Jesus is doing here. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying you're in good company. The prophets of the Old Testament were called by the voice of God 
directly, and this shows that they were in the bullseye of his favor and love, and yet they suffered. Go read about Jeremiah. Go read about Ezekiel. Some of them suffered very greatly. So, 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 so take heart, he says. Your suffering might indicate that you're completely loved and called and secure. The opposite of what you might think. See? See, if you're named with the Old Testament prophets, you're in good company. Let me, let me draw your attention to one other aspect of this beatitude that I think is really important. Do you notice where it's placed in the broader list of beatitudes? You can go back and start at verse 2 and 3 and see where it starts. Why does Jesus talk about being persecuted for your faith here at the end? See it? It's placed at the end. I think this is intentional. See, the implication here is that if you listen to Jesus' words in these Beatitudes and you take him seriously, and by faith you believe that he knows what he's talking about, and you follow him into it, saying, Lord, I'm listening, teach me, then you're going to want to hang out with him through his word and in prayer. And over time, you're going to start to look like these things. You're going to increase in meekness. You're going to increase in hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You're going to increase in being merciful. You're going to increase in, 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 um, in, in being a peacemaker. These are the ways that the Holy Spirit conforms us into the image of Jesus. We start to look more and more like Jesus. That's God's will for us. See Romans 8. And so here's the deal. Jesus knows that if they mistreated him for the way that he was, he will mistreat, they will mistreat you if you look like him. Make sense? Like here's just one example, John 8, 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They accuse, has anybody accused you of being demon-possessed? That, that's a new one for me. I mean, I've been accused of some things, but that's, that's not one of them. Like, that's heavy. So you look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and you're probably going to get treated like Jesus. And a majority of his experience is persecution. So when that comes, the question is, what will your perspective be? See, Jesus knows we need help in this area. He, needs, he knows that we feel weak. Like enduring persecution for your faith might be the hardest, one of the hardest things ever. Like I had a conversation this week with a neighbor that wasn't persecution at all, but it could have turned that way. Just in, in, in I won't get into the details because it wouldn't be helpful, but just basically um, I know that like I was being identified as a Christian and that that wasn't seen as really favorable. And we're still friends and there wasn't any harsh words or anything, but it just, um, it really bothered me the rest of the day just thinking about it. Everything's fine. But it just, man, it just, it just bothered me. It's really bothered me. Like, I, this person knows I'm a Christian, and they have, because of a certain view of politics, they probably associate me a certain way. And I, I wanted to, like, tidy it all up and 
like explain a bunch of things and I just didn't have time for that. And we're definitely still friends. I had a great conversation yesterday on the, on the porch. Um, but it just bothered me, you know. It's hard to endure that. And that was nothing, what I endured a few days ago. That was, it was nothing, really. But it still really bothered me. And imagine if it was, man, your, your life is being threatened. That happens in our world today. Enduring persecution for your faith might be one of the hardest things ever. And it's promised by Jesus to those who look like him and act like him. So we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes. We should be surprised when it doesn't come. So this is why Jesus gives us this last beatitude in verses 10, 11, and 12. He's saying, if you put these words of mine in the beatitudes into practice, it's probably just a matter of time until you get persecuted for it. And then I want you to embrace this last beatitude and remember the logic of Jesus, how it kind of feels backwards to think, I'm blessed when I'm persecuted? What? And you can remember the logic of Jesus and train your minds to his way of thinking and not the intuitive way of the world. Now, let me, let me close with a caution and a couple action points, and then we'll be done. The caution is this. It's possible to experience a type of persecution that is not blessed, because you're maybe just being a jerk. Maybe you're just being very, very foolish and unwise. Like the, the Westboro Baptist people, the God hates fags people, they claim that they, be, they, they, that they get persecuted. That's not persecution. That's being extremely foolish and unbiblical. Now, most of you aren't anywhere near that. But there's a way to get persecuted just because you're being unwise, insensitive, Steamrolling people in the name of truth, not listening, not seeking to understand. Like, that's possible. So just be careful. Be reflective before you claim persecution, okay? But my hunch is for most people in this room, you're nowhere near falling off that side of the cliff or falling into that side of the ditch. I would guess for most of us in this room, the question you're wrestling with is something more like this. And it's what I wrestle with at times too. The question for many of you is this. Honestly, I can't relate to this because I haven't ever really experienced what Jesus is talking about. I'm not sure if I've ever felt the sting of persecution at all. And 2 Timothy 3.12 says, anybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a direct quote, 2 Timothy 3.12. So how am I supposed to feel about this passage? Let me just give you two ways to think about it, and then we'll be done. I think it boils down to basically two sides of a coin. On, on the one side, either you're too much out of the world, or on the other side, you're too much in the world. Either you're too much out of the world, or you're too much in the world. So what does it mean to be too much out of the world? It means this. You probably just don't have anybody that doesn't know Jesus that you hang out with. You probably aren't in the lives of unbelievers really that much at all. It's, it's a retreat from the world completely. You're choosing intentionally to not be in proximity 
to unbelievers. Like they don't really know you at all, so you just never experience what Jesus is talking about here. You've retreated so far from the world that, that you don't look like Jesus anymore. Because he engaged unbelievers with the truth all the time. So you're not in the world enough. It's like this fortress mentality or Christian cul-de-sac or I just got to retreat and not engage out of fear. Like a lot of us need to engage with unbelievers a lot more. Like get them around your kitchen table for a meal. Learn their values, desires, hopes, dreams. Listen a lot and then speak with Holy Spirit loving, truth-filled wisdom that comes from God's word. So I think a lot of us need to engage more and make that really intentional. That's what Jesus calls us to, right? To be in the world, but not of it. And it's the of it is the other side of the coin that I want to talk about. On the other hand, many of us hang out with unbelievers a lot, but we never open our mouth for whatever motives. Maybe it's fear, need to be liked, need to be accepted. See, you're in the world too much. You laugh at all the same jokes. You watch all the same shows. You dance the line of drunkenness when you go out with them. You gossip like they do, complain, argue. Your social media look, life looks the same. There, is, there just isn't that much of a distinction between them and you in terms of the light that you shine. So in that sense, there would be nothing really ever to persecute because in essence, you're just living the same. So as you hear that, man, reflect on that. Because a lot of us do wrestle with that question of, I don't know if I've experienced persecution. I wrestle with this. And I want to follow Jesus. Am I too much in the world? Am I too much out of the world? Like Jesus was all the way in the world, but he was not of the world. Now listen, no one should leave here like hunting for persecution out of some desire to like justify yourself. Like that's not what this is. But here's what we should focus on. We should be praying that God would so fill us with his spirit that we would just look a lot like Jesus. That these promises of blessing that we've read about in 10, 11, and 12 through this certain way of living would be ours. And then if persecution comes, then we'd have the eyes to see the promises of God that we read in this text and believe it and endure and rejoice and be glad. That's what we should focus on. See, you can't control whether you're persecuted or not. God has ordained this time and place that we live in for each of us, but he has also ordained that when we really start to look like him and commune with him and abide with him, there will be some sort of persecution that will come your way. And when it does, his promises will hold us fast. So don't focus on persecution or not. Focus on being with Jesus. And being like Jesus to an on-looking world and then leave the results to God. It might feel like a backwards bicycle at times. But take heart. In the end, that bike is ridden all the way to heaven. And that's fellowship with the Lord. What What we long for will be ours. It's the only means with Jesus, his way of doing things, 
is the only means of traveling there. And when we get there, it's just a very short time, it will be better, like he says here in this text, it'll be better than you could ever imagine. Your reward will be great. God is the reward. His presence is the reward. He loves you, and one day we will be in perfect fellowship. One day we will see him as he is. So let that comfort you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this truth. Thank you so much that you have promised to be with us and to take care of everything. And and one day, all the scales will be made right. So Lord, would you help us believe? Would you help us be strong? Would you help us trust? In Jesus' name, amen.